0: If I was to ask you a question this morning as to which insects are we quite often hearing about and being told that because of the stuff that farmers and gardeners, and I'm not guilty because I don't use pesticides, use on their gardens are becoming extinct. Now, I should say, I've still got trouble with my earring, so <laughs> if, if I'm talking too loud, let me know, because I can't even hardly hear myself sometimes. Bees. 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 That's right. Bees. Well, I'm going to turn to the Word of God today, and we're going to look at four bees. And as I've thought of these bees, they don't buzz, okay, but their words begin with the. That we're going to pull from the portion that has been read this morning. There are four B's which I find are seemingly becoming rare in the church. And I want to just share them this morning. As Norman said, time's going. But it's important that we worship the Lord this morning. We're going to come to the word with these four B's. Four words... Perhaps if we wanted to look at it another way, there are four links to a chain. And so you've got the first link. Then you add the second link. Then you add the third link. Then you have the fourth link. And all four of them, to me, are essential for the Christian faith. And so I'll give you what they are here at the beginning. The first one is the word believe it's important to believe. The second one is baptise, it's important to be baptised. The third one is belonging, it's important to belong. And the fourth one is budgeting, it's important to budget. When we come to this portion of scripture that uh, Abby has read for us this morning, we're all familiar with the context from which it has sprung from we know that jesus had told the disciples there in chapter one of acts that they were to wait into jerusalem until they'd been endued with power and after that they had received that power they were to be his witnesses first of all in jerusalem then in judea then in samaria and then to the uttermost parts Of the earth. And so, what was about to happen in Jerusalem was to be a chronological event that followed on from the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the event that was about to follow was going to be that which would form the church that Jesus said that he would build. Remember in Matthew 16, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the church that Jesus said that he would build would be made up or consist of believers, men, women, who were washed in the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this church that he said he would build would commence in Jerusalem and would expand from Jerusalem to eventually reach to the nations of the world. And we know that the church would continue to be built until the next chronological event, which would be the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there in the upper room, after Jesus had told them to wait and Jesus had ascended back to his father on what was the festival of Pentecost, an important festival in the Jewish religion, there were thousands of God-fearing Jews in the city for that occasion. And as they were there in the city, on that moment, God chose to pour the Holy Spirit out upon the 120 who were waiting in the upper room. And as the Holy Spirit came upon them, they began to declare the mighty works of God in the various languages as the Holy Spirit enabled them to do so, so that those who had gathered from all different parts could understand the mighty and powerful things of God in their own language. And it was then, after this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that Peter got up with the 11 disciples and he began to expound the word of God to them. And of course, then it was just the Old Testament showing and explaining to the many thousands that had gathered around them of all that God had done and what God was doing through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who they, just a few weeks earlier, had taken, rejected, and crucified. And we find that as Peter got up, he preached with power. He preached with authority under the anointing of this new experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the same power that was working (coughs) on Peter as he preached the Word of God as it was at work in the hearts of those who were hearing what was being said to them. And conviction came upon those that heard. And so we come to verses 36 to 37, which says this, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, that is Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you crucified, And verse 37 says that when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter then continued and said, Repent and be baptized every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. They asked the question, What shall we do? Notice there is only one answer, and we see it firstly with Peter's use of that word repent. Repent. It is only through repentance of sin. That it can be forgiven. There is no other way. Our sin will never disappear. Our sin will never be washed away. It will never be cleansed. It will never be forgiven. Until we come to that place of repentance. And so this comes to the first B. On the most important chain in the link. It's the word Belief. Now, it's too easy for me to assume on a Sunday morning that we've all come to believe. and I don't want to assume. I want to be sure because assumption doesn't prove or guarantee anything. So I want to be sure this morning that we can all say this morning that we have come to believe see to become a christian a person is required to repent they're required to confess their sin and they're required to believe on the lord jesus christ no one else no other way but simply and only through jesus it requires a transformation it requires a complete change or turnaround which can only happen by believing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Gospel of John, if you read through the Gospel of John and you come towards the end, you will find there that John says why he has written that Gospel. He says that in be- reading it, we will believe on Jesus and as a result will have eternal life. This is what it says in John 20. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book but these are written. Those things that John had written in those 21 books of the Gospel of John so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God and that by believing you may have life In his name. We need to make it loud and clear today. When men and women around us are believing in all sorts of things. And may I add, in all sorts of nonsense. And they believe in the cults. They believe in the various religions of the world. In believing in these things, men and women never ever will be saved. They will remain lost and hopeless and they will remain on the road that leads to hell. There is only one way for salvation. There is only one road that leads to heaven and the road is provided through the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. On another occasion, remember Paul and Silas in prison and I don't need to go into the details of the whole story but they were thrown in prison because they dared to teach and preach about Jesus and while they were thrown in prison after being beaten and in the stocks they knew that a decision was going to be made the next day what to do with them but it says that at midnight they prayed and they sang hymns to God they didn't care about what tomorrow held because their faith their confidence, their trust was in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as they pray, and as they worship, God caused an earthquake to take place. And their bonds were broken, and they were freed. And the jailer who was in charge of them, who knew that if they escaped, his life would be on the line, he realized that something powerful was at work. And he cried out to them, Sirs, Sirs, and I can imagine there was desperation in his heart. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they gave the answer to him: Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And this call to believe is to everybody. For we read in Romans 3, 22 to 25, for there is no distinction. And you can put whatever distinctions you like there. You can put whatever nation you want there. You can put whatever colour you want to put there. You can put whatever race you want to put there. As far as the gospel is concerned, there is no distinction. For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So today, this morning, before the second chain, the link for the chain can be added to your life, it's essential you need to believe. So I bring a challenge this morning to every heart that's here this morning because I don't want to just assume And I don't care whether I'm talking to an older person or a younger person because the message is the same for each and every one of us. We need to come to that place of faith, of trust and of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ because until we have taken that step, we're still lost and we're going to hell. So this morning, can you say with assurance, knowing full well in your heart of hearts that you've made that choice. You have made that decision to give your life over to him, to Jesus, to be your saviour. The second instruction that Peter gave on the day of Pentecost was to be baptised. Repent and be baptised. Now, we know that the baptism that Peter was referring to was baptism in water. And it's important to understand that although Peter used the phrase repent and be baptised in reply to the question, what we must do is to understand that he wasn't indicating that salvation was a two-step process that only happens if both these steps have happened. That is, we mustn't read into the text that we need to repent and be baptized to be saved. To be saved, we just need to repent, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They are two steps, but they're not necessarily taken together. See, the first step to repent is sufficient for salvation. The moment a person repents and believes that person is saved, that person is born again. But the Bible talks of the second step of baptism as being the next link in the chain. And baptism is an action that takes place to show, to signify, to demonstrate, to testify to those around us that the believing has taken place in our hearts and lives. See, baptism is an act of obedience, that when it takes place, signifies that we have died with Christ to the world, with its sin, with its pleasure, with its activities that are unhelpful, and we've been made alive in Christ to live for him, and to live for him alone. Mommy. Repentance is something that is internal, and baptism is something that is demonstrated externally. See, with repentance, we allow Christ into our lives, and with baptism, we tell the world that we've been altered because Christ is in us. Now, Although I believe that baptism is... I believe, I should say, that baptism is by total immersion. It is a sacrament or ordinance of the church. And I also believe that baptism is only for the believer. It is a step that should only be taken from one who fully understands what salvation and commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ is all about. Now, in the account of Acts chapter 2, which we've had read this morning, we understand, we see from there that those who did believe were baptized at the same time. And I can only think to myself, where 3,000 people being added to the church, what an amazing baptismal service it must have been. And a busy one. 3,000 souls repenting and being baptized. I put in my notes. It must have been a smashing and a splashing time. How wonderful it may have been to be there. But myself, I repented, I believed, I was saved, whatever phrase you want to use, when I was nine years of old. But I didn't go through the baptism of water until I was 14 years of age. That was five years later. And the reason for that was simply because of the practice of the church that I attended at the time, they used to say that a person had to be at least 14 to be baptized to be sure that they understood what it was all about. Now, I'm not saying that I agreed with that practice. That was what I had to follow where I was. But what I do believe is this it is important that a person knows and understands exactly what it is they are doing. See, baptism is something that helps us to follow the example of Jesus. He himself was baptised and to heed the instruction from Jesus which he told the disciples to preach the gospel and after preaching the gospel to baptise those who believe in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So this morning, if you have believed which is the first link in the chain. The second question I want to ask is this, have you been baptised? Have you followed this command that is found in the Word of God, to repent and to be baptised? And I would love to have a baptismal service here. And I know you'll tell me there isn't something here to baptise in, but listen, there's ways and means. To have a baptismal service here in this place to see folk going through the way of obedience Acts chapter 8 and verses 35 to 38 tells us this that Philip was going down and he opened his mouth and began with the scriptures he spoke to the Ethiopian and told him the good news about Jesus and as they were going along the road they came to some water and the eunuch said fear Here's water, what prevents me from being baptised? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptised him. If you have believed, but have not been baptised, what is preventing you? What is preventing you? We move now to reverses 41 to 42. so those who received his word were baptized we've just seen that and they were added that day about three thousand souls and they that's the three thousand souls devoted themselves to the apostles teaching they linked themselves to the 120, to the apostles that were in the upper room and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Here, we've got the next link in the chain. belief, baptised and now belong. Belief, baptised and belong. Or belonging. See, with regard to the new believers, 3,000 of them added to the new church that was formed. The interesting thing to notice here is that, first of all, the disciples didn't leave the 3,000 to go off and to do their own thing. It's important to notice that. The disciples didn't leave them to go off and do their own thing. Because if the disciples had done that, they would have drifted. They would have muddled their way through their newfound faith. But instead, the disciples welcomed them. Join with us. Attach yourself to us. So that the 3,000 now belonged together with the previous 120. And it's very clear from the word of God, they had fellowship together. They belonged together. See? They would have left whatever else they may have been previously attached to, that their, their own religions, some of them were probably belonging to Judea, Judaism. But they left it. They left it to follow their newfound faith, to follow Jesus and to be in fellowship. With other believers and i simply want to make it clear that i believe and i'm going to make it clear this morning like i've done so many times before that christian fellowship is essential it's essential and i'll never stop saying it and repeating it we believe we're baptized and we need to belong Christian fellowship is essential. We must meet up with and be encouraged and instructed in our faith with other believers. And I want to add this morning in this low commitment world in which we are living, it is important as believers that we both belong and commit ourselves to a particular fellowship, a place where we can say we belong and a place where we can give and we can get support with fellow brothers and sisters. And the belonging needs to be evident. And how is the belonging evident? The belonging is evident with regular attendance to the activities that take place in the fellowship in which we claim to belong to. We need each other. Let me tell you in this world and generation in which we're living in today we're going to need each other like we've never needed each other before we need fellowship we need to belong and of all the commitments we make in this world there are three that must be our priority and you can decide for yourself what order you want them to be but they should be above and beyond any other commitment we make they are our commitment to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is our commitment to our marriage if we've entered into such a relationship and any children we have together as a result of that bond. And the third one, and not necessary in this order, is our commitment to the fellowship of believers to which we belong. As I've pastored here over the last three years, for the first few months with the pandemic pandemic i know it was difficult but i have been encouraged in our fellowship together and i trust that you've been encouragement i've been encouragement to you as you've been encouragement to me but as i share these four b's it is that i might encourage you further because it's crucial if you haven't already done so to consider committing yourself to this fellowship through taking up membership or as what we call it from the word of God the right hand of fellowship we need to commit ourselves to a body of believers in a local church and as you commit yourself to us as a fellowship we the leadership commit ourselves to you as the ones who take responsibility of feeding caring for you as a child of God and as a part of our family together at Emmanuel. I can't express it enough. Belonging is so important. Too many believers today flit about like the bees. They go from one church to another. They never seem to settle. Spiritual gypsies, we used to call them. Let's be committed to fellowship regular fellowship in the house of god so that we can grow together and stick together in these dark days in which we are then finally the final b the word budget now let me make it clear i have no intention to stand up here today and tell any one of you how to go about budgeting your personal or family finances i'm not a financial advisor It's enough to look after my own. I'm not a financial advisor. All I say on that matter is that we should learn to be wise stewards of everything that God gives us. That includes being wise stewards in the home with our families and with our parental responsibilities, with our personal finances and also wise stewards of our time, how we spend our time. But the area that is for our attention today as the fourth link in the chain is how we should budget financially towards the work of the Lord. See, believe, baptise, belong. Then we need to budget for that to which we belong to. Verses 44 to forty forty five. 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, I'm not suggesting in reading that scripture this morning. You've all got to go from here today. And this week, get the valuer in to value your house and put it on the market and sell your house and to sell all your possessions. what i want to speak about this morning that there is a principle found in the word of god and if that was what is essential there for the establishing of the church there must be something in place for the continuation of the church and so we need to budget as to what we give towards the work of the lord see the The ministry of the local church, the costs of running and maintaining what already is, has to come from somewhere. The building maintenance, the heating, the lighting, because I love coming here and finding it warm. I wouldn't be very happy if I came in the winter and it was cold, but it costs. There's the cost of having me as a pastor. And on top of that, any financial support we give from out of our income to mission organisations that we support and it comes from those who fellowship in a particular place and so we're talking of tithes and we're talking of offerings and if we tithe and I believe from scripture we should tithe if we tithe it should be to the place where we have fellowship we don't send our tithe anywhere else we don't give it anywhere else the tithe must be to the place which is our place of fellowship. But why do we give, and everything else? Well, we give because God has given to us. We give because God has given to us. We give because we are receiving or benefit from benefiting from ministry and support that is given within the church. But we give because we want to be obedient to what scripture expects of us and I want to add that if we give because we think somehow it is like a magic process to getting more then we're giving wrongly we're thinking wrongly for there are those that will teach if you give your tithe then God's going to give you back twofold fivefold or tenfold But these are wrong motives. They are false motives. They're not Bible-based motives. We give because God's already given to us. (coughs) And we give because God's blessed us. And we give in expectation that he will continue to bless, not on my terms, but on his terms. He blesses in whatever way he sees fit, whether materially or spiritually. For as we give, God does open the windows of heaven to pour out his blessing, not what I demand. Now, I don't like talking about money. As a pastor, I've never liked doing it. I've never liked talking about money. And especially because my income depends on the giving within the church. You don't give, I don't get a wage. But that's the way it is. So I want to say thank you to all who do give generously to the work of God in this place. Let's point to one scripture, 1 Corinthians 16, 1-2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed to the Church of Galatia, so also are you to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. I think that we can take from that scripture that as we earn or receive financially, we should budget from out of that income the portion, and notice how I'm going to put it the portion that belongs to the Lord. The portion that belongs to the Lord. And the Old Testament speaks of a tithe that is 10%. And then on top of the 10% should be that which we consider as an offering. See, the 10% is already or should already belong to the Lord. So the offering is that extra which we give ourselves out of our portion. And God is so generous because he allows us to have 90% of it. Isn't that amazing? He allows us to have 90% of it. And so from out of that, should come our offering. And so I can only teach what I believe that scripture teaches. And you, as you listen to me, are the ones who determine whether it is something you wish to practise. But whatever we do and whatever we give, we give unto the Lord as cheerful givers, learning from the parable that Jesus taught about the rich man and the poor widow that he knows the condition of our hearts from out of which we give. He knows our motives. He knows if we have stolen or withheld from him. And he knows if we've been stingy or if we have given generously. But the wonder is this, that regardless, he doesn't hold his blessing from us. What an amazing God. Now on a Sunday morning, The first day of the week, as 1 Corinthians 16 talked about, in line with Scripture, we take up our tithes and offerings. And you may notice that some don't give. And I'm one of them. And you must think to yourself, well, the pastor doesn't give. Well, the reason why you don't see me giving into the offering bags that comes down on a Sunday morning is because I've already given. And through the pandemic, some of us, To make life easier for the treasurer make sure that what we give is given online through our banking account or whatever so that it goes into the church account so for myself the moment i'm paid whatever day it is i think it's the 23rd of the month and as soon as i know that the money's gone into my account one of the very first things i do is i go online and i give my tithe back into the church account and then if you're like me you never carry cash around so I always get called out on a Sunday night when the bag comes out so what I try to do is be determined that at least once a month I make sure I have something to go in to the offering budget budget we must budget for the Lord's work we need to believe we need to be baptised We need to belong. We need to budget. And as I've said, I don't want these four bees to become extinct as is with the buzzing bees. But let's be a church that practices. Let's preach the gospel so we see folk believing and being saved and see them baptised and see them want to belong and hopefully see them budget for the giving towards the Lord's work so I've covered them all didn't think I'd get through them all but I have I've covered them all left you a lot to think about but please can I say if you want any more information on any of them at all please talk to me if you want to give through the banking system then have a word with Tracy and she'll give you details of the account to which you can do it if it helps you to budget more easily but at the end of it all with all of the bees, it is that we want that God will be glorified. God glorified in this place, in this part of Gateshead, that we as a church will be a church where his blessing will be upon us, his favour will be upon us, so that we will grow and grow. And as we saw in the book of Acts, there will be those numbers that will be added to us. So to god be the glory great things he has done and can we believe great things he is going to do